Well, I mentioned to you that we're going to start a series of messages where we're going to spend our time in this wonderful little four-chapter, 107-verse book of Philippians, a letter to a, a little church uh, by the Apostle Paul. And, and, uh, and, and we're going to call the series Turning the Bethel Wheel, because what we're going to do is we're going to study this book to see insights and inspiration about how to follow Jesus and help others follow Jesus. This was a cluster of Jesus followers, and it was a simple one, and it was an exemplary one. And so we're going to study the letter to Philippians about how to turn the Bethel wheel, how to follow Jesus, and how to help others follow Jesus. In today's message, we're calling it Gospel Ventures. And I'll tell you why, because um, taking the gospel to the world is an adventure. It's a, it requires a series of ventures uh, a series of acts of obedience, a series of sometimes inconvenient and dangerous things. Are. And so um, years ago, there was a, a young man who graduated from uh, college in Emory University. And when he graduated from college, his dad said to him, he said, I'm going to buy you a new car. He had an old yellow dots and his dad said, I'm going to buy you a new car. And he said, I'm also going to pay for your graduate school. But this boy, Chris, he had other ideas. And he said to his dad, I don't need a new car. And I'm not interested in going to graduate school. He took his little yellow Datsun, and he started driving. Emory's in Georgia. He started driving west. And he drove out west, and he literally cut off his whole family, and he stopped talking to them all together. And somewhere out west, he, his car got caught in the flood. He, he abandoned his car. He took his money, all of his cash, and he put it in a pile and he lit it on fire, took a picture of it for later. He decided he was going to cut off all ties with everybody else. He was going to venture out into the, world, into the wild. And that's exactly what he did. Eventually, he worked for a farmer out west for a while. And then eventually, he made his way to his destiny where, where he really planned on going. He made his way to Alaska. And he hiked out into the mountains in Alaska, in the, in the Denali Mountains. And, uh, and, he, and, he didn't come, and he never came back alive. He did pretty well. Lived, I think, about 100 days out in the wild. He crossed the river, and he found an old bus that he stayed in. Chris McCandless, he called himself Alexander Supertramp. And he stayed in this old bus for a long time. He actually killed wildlife and ate berries and such. He got real hungry. He decided that he would hike out, but he didn't realize that the river rose while he was there and he couldn't couldn't get back across the river so he was stuck he started to eat some things that he didn't know were poisonous and they think that that's probably what took his life chris mccandless died on that bus and and now people there's a book written by john krakauer a very well written book called into the wild and then there was a movie about it and so then people started hiking out into the wild and finding that bus that old abandoned bus Matter of fact, some, some people actually risked their lives. One, one woman drowned trying to get to that bus. A couple of weeks ago, I noticed on my news feed, the National Guard took a big Huey helicopter in, hooked up that bus, and flew that bus out so that it wouldn't be a tourist attraction anymore because people were venturing out to this bus thinking about Chris McCandless' sad life, and they're putting themselves in danger doing that. I'm writing a little book. I probably told you that. It's uh, 50 camp lessons, things I speak to kids at camp about. One of the camp lessons is 
Why did God give us a spirit of adventure? Why is it, the question was, why this particular chapter is built around this idea. Why did God give, especially young people, a spirit of adventure? Why, why do we have that desire to venture, do things that are risky or dangerous? And, and in, my, in my little book, what I suggest to young people is that God put in all of us a spirit of adventure because he intended for us to find great fulfillment in following Jesus and helping other people follow Jesus. And sometimes that will require adventures or ventures, doing things, taking risks, giving gifts, go, going places, sometimes even going to dangerous places. And that's what happened here. In Acts chapter 16, you have the backstory of the, the, the beginnings of the church in Philippi. You, you know the stories, right? They're kind of famous. In Acts 16, you might take your Bible and, and look at, at these stories, the little cluster of stories. You want to spend some time reading this powerfully interesting narrative. And then, it's, and it's, again, it's the, expla it's the explanatory backstory to Philippians. If you want to understand Philippians, you want to understand what it says about Philippi in the book of Acts. But in Acts chapter 16 and verse 6, it says, they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. This is Paul and Barnabas now. And they have a sense that the Spirit has forbidden them to preach in Asia. In verse 7, and when they came to Mysia, they attempted to go to Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So whatever that looked like, the Holy Spirit cautioned them, hindered them, didn't allow them to go to Asia to preach. And, and, and then they had an additional like uh, uh, ch check in their spirit from the spirit of Jesus who didn't allow them to go to Bithynia. And so it says in verse 9, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there urging him and saying, come over to Macedonia, help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately he sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them and the word us there. Obviously, Luke now must be included there because Luke, the writer, used that particular pronoun. He, they're going now on a two-day venture in the sea and a nine-mile hike in, the, in, in rough territory to get to this place where Paul has the sense of direction from God to take the gospel to, to Macedonia. And so they, 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 they have some encounters. He has this dream in, in verse 10. He, he meets an interesting person in verses 11 through 15. He meets a businesswoman, a seller of purple from Thyatira who lived in Philippi. And she was pretty well wealthy and connected. And she was a God-fearer. She was seeking God. And she wasn't yet a follower of Christ. And in and Paul's there a few days, and when the Sabbath comes, he would normally go to the synagogue, but it, take, it takes 10 adult men to form a synagogue. There probably weren't that many. And so he went to a, a little place outside the city where there was a river, and there were a handful of God-fearing people, and among them was this businesswoman whose name was Lydia, praying by the river. And that story is given there in um, verse 13 on the Sabbath day. He went outside the gate to the riverside where he was supposed, where there was supposed there was a place of prayer. 
We sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. So, so Lydia was a God-fearer, but she didn't know about Christ yet. But God took initiative to open Lydia's heart, and God sent Paul through this unusual means of a vision. And there Paul finds Lydia, and he tells her the story of Jesus, and she obviously believes. And what's the first thing that she does after she believes? You can talk out loud. What's the first thing she does after she believes? What's the first thing you do after you believe? Yeah, you get baptized if you're following the Bible. After she was baptized and her household as well, she urged us saying, if you judge me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. It's kind of like ladies that say, come eat my pumpkin bread. And then you say, if you insist, I will come eat your pumpkin bread. And this is what Paul, I kind of imagined the pumpkin bread, but something like that, the first century Greek equivalent of that. Well, then Paul and Silas are preaching and, uh, and they run into a slave girl. And this is uh, just to make the story shorter, which you should read all the details of the story. This slave girl is demon possessed with a snake spirit. <laughs> it's not good. She's saying things that are true, but she's following them around and shouting out. And here's, here's what it says. And they were in the, going to the place of prayer. They were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune telling. So somebody was using her to make money. She followed Paul and us crying out, these men are servants of the most high God who proclaimed to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. Now, this would obviously ruin the business of the people that were using her to make money, right? When her owners saw, verse 19, their hope of gain was gone. They seized Paul and Silas, dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, these men are Jews. When they're disturbing our city, they advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans. Philippi was full of expatriate Romans and a very patriotic, very loyal Romans. They decided this was... Uh, against their practice. And the crowd, then they stir up the crowd. Verse 22, the crowd joins in, attacks them. Magistrates tore garments off of them, beat them with rods, gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows on them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them in the inner prison and fastened their feet with stocks. Which I think at this point, if I was Paul, if I was Silas, I might have been rethinking that whole Macedonian vision. God, are you, were you really in this? You really tell me to come here? They've, now they've beaten us. They've thrown us in prison. They put us in stocks. It was a form of, of torture. It was really bad. And, and you love this part. If you know the Bible well, you know this, is, this verse 25 is a powerful truth. Verse 25 so what were Paul and Silas doing there, obviously, in this, in this terrible circumstance? It's midnight now, and the Bible says Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. 
they're like, well, we came here to preach, and we might as well just sing hymns and praise and give praises to God. I can ask you just a little question while we're talking. We're all friends here. We're out under the sunny sky and the open air, and you look like you're doing pretty well today. You look fine. How, how were, what did you do the last time you had bad things happen to you? When something really bad happened to you and you had to ask yourself the question, God, are you really in this? Did you remember to pray and sing hymns to God? There's a thought, right? So this is what they did. Now, you know the story. It goes on, and, and, and while they're praying and singing hymns to God, suddenly there was an earthquake, and the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately the doors were open, and everyone's bonds were unfastened. The jailer awakes and sees the prison doors are open and throws, draws his sword and is about to kill himself, supposing the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cries with a loud voice, Don't harm yourself. We're all here. And the jailer called for the lights, rushed in, trembling with fear, falls down before Paul and Silas, brought them out and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? Somebody was listening. And they said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all that were in his house. And they took them that same hour of the night and washed their wounds. And he was, what do you do right after you believe in Jesus? You get baptized. This is what he did in his house, the believers in his household. They brought him to the house, set food before them. He rejoiced along with his entire household that he believed in God. Okay, just like crunch that all together and think about that for a minute. Paul and Silas are sent over to a place where people didn't know the Lord. There were a handful of people there. People started to follow Jesus and get baptized. The impossessed girl gets saved. Jailer guy in his household gets saved. They get baptized. Lydia gets saved. She gets baptized. There was a little prison and beating thing in between there, along with the pumpkin uh, bread. There was some beating in prison in there. But, then, but these, uh, this is like how churches start. Little clusters of Jesus followers who believe in who Jesus is. And when they believe it, if they've even, even if they've been recently beaten, there's this joy that keeps bubbling up. Now, here's my point today. It's going to be the point in one of the sub points in Philippians is this. Jesus is the point of Philippians. Jesus, it talks about Jesus in 107 verses 61 times. And it talks about joy a handful of times. So preachers often say Philippians is about joy. Well, yes, it is. It's about joy when you follow Jesus and when you help others follow Jesus. Like when you obey any of the commands of Christ, you can expect joy to flood in even if the circumstances are really hard. This is really great news because I wanted, this is kind of the big idea today. And that's this, that following Jesus, and we'll get to this in a moment, following Jesus is a team sport. Following Jesus is a team sport, if you will. It's a team venture. And it's fulfilling. It's fulfilling in a very deep way. It's the, it's the venture, it's the adventure that really is, brings a bubbling joy from within even if you are in the middle of difficult circumstances, Paul writes this letter to Philippi in thanksgiving for sending Epaphras with a gift. And he's in prison when he writes this letter. And it's all full of joy and warmth and affection. How in the world can a person be so bubbling over with joy and affection when he's in prison? Because he's on the venture, even while he's in prison, of following Jesus and making him known. And I'm telling you this. 
when we turn the Bethel wheel, when we do what we need to do in order to help people obey Jesus, when we obey Jesus and we help others obey Jesus, when we follow Jesus and we help others follow Jesus, when we do even the simplest thing that turns the Bethel wheel, when somebody obeys a command of Jesus, the Bethel wheel turns. It's discipleship, get it? It's following Jesus. When somebody follows the Lord, when somebody believes, the Bethel wheel turns. When somebody is baptized, the Bethel wheel turns. When, when a, a little child comes to understand who God is, the Bethel wheel turns just a little bit. So it's turning right now. And when it turns, because people obey Jesus, when you read the book of Philippians, here's what you're going to see. When people follow Jesus and help others follow Jesus, there's a joy that comes you can't get anywhere else. There's a satisfaction, there's a fulfillment that you can't get anywhere else. When I was a boy, we had a, we had a hymnal that we used all the time. And I always noticed that two of my favorite songs were on facing pages. One of them was called, I'm Happy in the Service of the King. And the other one that faced was called, There's Joy in Serving Jesus. It's really common for me to look up from my work or to drive away from a call and to think, I am happy in the service of the king. I, there is joy in serving Jesus. This is what we're going to see in Philippians. So now let's take a look at Philippians in chapter 1. And I want to read the first 11 verses. And we won't exhaust this truth, but I, but I want you to see the basic idea is going to come plainly out to you. And that is in this little introduction that Paul gives to the church in Philippi, you see that you see the preeminence of Jesus. You see the worth and value of Jesus. You see the joy that you see the relationship, the team sport intimacy, fellowship they have together as they're following Jesus together and helping other people follow Jesus together. You see that real clearly? You see it and you hear it in the prayers of thanksgiving that Paul has for them, and you hear it in the prayers, the petitions that Paul has for them. You get a little glimpse into what it's supposed to look like for people to get together and, can I say, turn the Bethel wheel or follow Jesus and help other people follow Jesus. Paul and Timothy, servants of Jesus Christ. Paul was an apostle, but he calls himself a doulos, slave, lowest form of slave here. I'm just a servant of Jesus, he says. To all the saints, saints are the Bible word for all believers, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi. By the way, can I just say this to you? You know, we, we, we have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God, right? When we're saved then, we aren't characterized as sinners anymore. We're characterized as saints. And the biblical weight of that is in the fact that you can only find about three places in the Bible where saints are called sinners, even though we still do sin. We're not characterized by sin. Paul frequently, when he writes these letters, he reminds people of who they are before the Lord that they're saints, they're holy ones, they're set apart for the Lord. And he says that to them, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi and the overseers, that's the bishop word. It's synonymous with bishop, elder, pastor, same, same office. The overseers and the deacons, the leaders, the servants, uh, the various different kinds of servants. He's writing to them. And he says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And you probably know that what he does in using this salutation, this greeting is, he takes a Greek greeting and he takes a Hebrew greeting and he puts them together. And he kind of artfully says to the Greeks and to the Hebrews, grace 
Greeks, peace, Hebrews, grace, Hebrews, peace, Greeks. We're all here together now. And you're gonna hear, and you're gonna hear this. Here, here's what I'm kind of getting at that, that we should see. And that is at Bethel, we're here to follow Jesus and help other people follow Jesus together. And there's a fulfillment. There's a joy in that. There's, matter of fact, there isn't anything else in the world that can bring the kind of joy that you can only get when you're following Jesus and helping other people follow Jesus. This might be kind of what's missing in your ventures. You know, we, we don't have, a, we don't have a, a deep soul thirst that was placed in our heart by God to go stand in line for two hours in the sun at Cedar Point and then ride a crazy ride and then throw up our funnel cake. That's just crazy stuff that we do. So here you have this interesting verses 3 through 11 I'll read together. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you, making my prayer with joy. Paul's like, whenever I think of you, whenever I pray for you, I thank God for you, and it brings me joy. Because of your partnership in the gospel, the partnership word is that koinonia word. Sometimes it's translated fellowship. And the original idea was like when two, two people, two men usually in that culture would go in together in a fishing venture. To, to, and they would, they would pool their resources and then would labor together to make money fishing. This was koinonia. And it was borrowed by the church, became a very sacred word. This partnership, this working together. Okay, the working together thing is what you were made to do. It's what you and I were made to do. And don't freak. I, I, it's simple. I'm gonna, before we get done, I'm gonna show you how simple it is. You know, it's, it, it's just simple obedience, a little at a time, and, and, the, and the power comes from God. The miracles, God does them. We don't do them, but we do wanna get together and participate in this following Jesus and helping others follow Jesus. And so because of your partnership in the gospel, he says, from the first day until now, and, and, and I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart for you are all partakers of me of great, with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I yearn for you with all the affection of Christ Jesus and it's my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so that you can be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with all the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and to the praise of God. A couple of things here, if you, if you, if you pay attention, what you see here is Paul does a couple of things and they highlight this whole, they're, they're following Jesus, helping others follow Jesus together and it's fulfilling and joyful. A couple of things he does. He gives them two or three affirmations, maybe three really powerful remember, remember this, remember this, remember this, affirmations. And then he, he says, I'm going to pray for you, but he doesn't get to it right away. But then when he prays, he, he, he has three interesting prayer requests. And it, it would be, it, it's interesting, it's informative what these affirmations and these prayer requests kind of tell us about what it's like to minister, to work with people together in this team sport that we call discipleship, following Jesus, helping other people follow Jesus he says, I remember your past faithfulness. I remember the things you did for me or with me. I heard a pastor say something about this, which I found so interesting. When Paul says, look in there in verse three, I thank God, my God, in all my remembrance of you, 
just, let's just think about Lydia and the demon-possessed girl and the, the jailer in his household. Just think about them for now. I thank God on all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. He says, I remember your past faithfulness. This pastor that was talking about this, he said, Lydia's hair wasn't even dry from her baptism yet when she invited people over to her house. Isn't that beautiful? Her hair wasn't even dry from her baptism yet when she invited people over to her house. So one of the ways to make the Bethel wheel turn is to invite people over to your house. This is where we go back to the pumpkin bread again. We'll return to this regularly. Or something, right? It might even just be a cup of cold water. It might be popcorn. It might be building a fire in the backyard, leading a song with your guitar, letting the kids play together on the lawn while the fireflies come out and the sun goes down. And the, and the richness of Christian fellowship and joy that's in that, that you really can't get anywhere else. Not a bar in the world where you can go get that. Not a club in the world where you can go get that. He says, I remember your past faithfulness. And then he says, and, and, I, and, and I want to remind you, you have a bright future. I love this, verses 5 and 6, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day to now. And I'm sure of this. He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion in the day of Jesus Christ. You remember what it says about Lydia? Remember what it says about, the first thing it says about Lydia was that God did what? Do you remember that? Back in Acts 16, you can look it up. God did what? God opened Lydia's heart. You and I right now ought to thank God that he took initiative to draw us to himself. We thought it was our idea. It was originally his idea. And what he starts, he will complete. That's the amen part. You missed the amen part now. I, I missed the beeping of the horns. We used to have horns that would beep at the right time. Thank you. Thank you. So I knew I could, I knew I could uh, get some help there from, from the people in their cars. And they're cool. They have air conditioning over there, you know. But, but hey, here, think about this. He says... You didn't, this wasn't your original idea. Remember, God stirred your heart. And listen, he's going to bring it to completion all the way until Jesus comes back. I want to tell you, as a pastor, as many of you, you're a pastor, and that is that thing that God began in you, he will complete, and he'll take it all the way until Jesus comes back. So Paul affirms them. He says, I remember what you did in the past. And I know that you have a bright future because he began a good work in you that he is going to complete. And he says, and I want you to know I really deeply love you. That's what he says in verse 7 and 8. See that? God is my witness. He calls on God as a witness. This is serious stuff. How I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus is my prayer that your love may abound more and more. Do you see what he does there? Let's just take this personally now. Let's take this like Bethel. Let's take this like us, us guys, and men and women, all right? We, we, in gospel venture, should give our hearts to one another. In following Jesus, we should open our hearts to one another. I know people do weird stuff, hurt our feelings, misunderstand. You know, we have differences of opinion about when to do this or not to do that or how, how things work, but we should give our hearts to one another. 
and he's enlarged his heart. Listen to the language that he uses here. Of course, they've given their hearts to him. To him. They've given their hearts to each other. God is my witness, how I yearn for you with all the affection of Christ Jesus. And that is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and discernment. So you may approve what's, and he gets into his prayer. Now notice the three things about his prayer. He, he asked God for them. He prays for them. And you can pray this for others. You can pray this for yourself, your children, people that you care about. God, help them to have a love that's really genuine and discerning. Help them. And, and Lord, help them to understand what's valuable. Spend their life, their time, their efforts on things that really matter that aren't going to leave them empty and disappointed. It's what he's praying for them. And, and, he, and he says that, and that they would have the fruit of righteousness, this is a beautiful prayer. Here it says, so that you may approve what's excellent and be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. He keeps reminding us Jesus is coming back, right? Filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Yesterday, I'm out on the fence line and I noticed we have raspberries growing. When they're just right, we'll have that fruit. That'll be good. I don't know if you knew this or not, Ed, I know you know this. The peach truck came through town. Ed and I, we have a thing, don't we? When the peach truck comes through town, we go waste a lot of money on those peaches. Why? Because there's nothing like a ripe peach. They're so good. There's fruit that's good, and there's fruit that's bad. And fruit that's good is sweet. And fruit that's good is joyful. And we're talking here about character, holiness, Christ-likeness, being kind, being joyful, being patient, being loving, being Christian. It's one thing to say, I admire Jesus. It's another thing to say, by the power of the Holy Spirit, I'm becoming more and more like him. And this is what Paul, this is the highest thing Paul can pray for anybody. Will Houghton, one of the, Will Houghton was one of the presidents of Moody Bible Institute, and Will Houghton has a, uh, a dormitory named after him on the campus of the Moody Bible. It happens to be a women's dorm, Houghton Hall. Will Houghton took a church in Georgia, in Atlanta, and one of the, one of the men in town was a little skeptical about him, so what he did was he took his own money and he hired a private detective to follow him around so that he could expose this pastor's hypocrisy. After the private detective followed him around for a while, he came back and he gave a report to the man who hired him. And the man who hired him became a follower of Jesus because Will Houghton's life was like Jesus. Is that beautiful? Now, what if there was like a little secret agent that followed you around and saw what you did and listened to what you said and knew what you were thinking? Do you realize this is very hopeful? The Bible is teaching us that it's possible. If, if God the Holy Spirit inspired the Apostle Paul to pray that people would be filled with the fruit of righteousness, it is possible to be filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory of God. That should encourage you today. That should bring you joy. So here you have it. Following Jesus. You see that? You see, it, it, we didn't exhaust this, but... But can you just see by reading it, what do we have here? We have people that are together following Jesus, helping others follow Jesus, and they have a unique kind of joy, 
and they're growing more and more lovely in their own personal character. There's joy in seeing people awaken to who Jesus is. There's joy in seeing people turn the wheel, the Bethel wheel, if you will. There's joy when you see people obey the Lord. It's joy when you see people grow and mature. There's joy when you see people repent. Joy in, in rejoicing in heaven when people repent. There's joy when you see people make choices that are good. There's joy when you see people kind of join the team. It was humbling and joyful to watch the work, the effort that went into setting up what you're participating in now. I, I watched, I didn't participate in it, I worked on other things, but I, I would see, I saw the, a lot of work, just this, and other things. There's a little group of women that meet every week to pray. They're just turning the, the Bethel wheel a little bit because they're meeting to pray. There are people that go and visit people when they can who are, Shut in, the Bethel wheel turns just a little bit. The people that help take your offering, that hand things out, there, there are men that put, that put together, they take the gifts that God gave them and they, they give them for gospel venture. I know a, a man who spent years working, volunteering at a Christian camp, just working and working, busting his sweat every day because he knew that at that camp, little children were hearing about Jesus and he wanted to, be, he wanted to have a, that gospel venture. When I was a, a boy, I remember on Sunday, it was a, a young man at, at Moody Bible Institute. They gave me the assignment to go to the VA Lake Shore Hospital on Sunday morning. And I was a little disappointed because I thought, my goodness, all the young girls are going to church and I won't be worshiping with them. And I kind of wanted to worship with them. I was concerned for their spiritual well-being and such. But I was going to have to go off and work with these old veterans. And I wasn't going to preach, and I wasn't going to sing. I wasn't going to lead anything. I was just going to go from room to room and see if anybody wanted me to push them to the service that somebody else was going to conduct. I thought, wow, that's going to be kind of a bummer. Every Sunday morning, I don't get to go to church. I just go down to the VA hospital, and I ask these crusty old boys if they want me to push them to church. And most of them don't, and a handful of them do. And after a few weeks of that, I remember I was walking back from the Lakeshore Hospital and I had this weird feeling of happiness that just swept over me that I don't even remember ever having before. And I thought, wow, I didn't preside, I didn't preach, I didn't sing. There weren't any pretty girls around. but just those old veterans that I was pushing down there to the service. And there's a joy that comes into your heart when you're doing any gospel venture that can't come from anything else. That's what Paul is saying in this. And that's the thing that we might want to remember. Maybe a small group. Maybe you open your home. Maybe you camp ministry. Maybe you should read stories or watch films about gospel venture. If you look online, I listed a whole bunch of powerful films and stories about people who took gospel ventures like Tim Cassie, Dispatches from the Front, films about gospel venture around the world, or Tim Scott and William Decker, the Travel the Road films, fascinating films about what God's doing in the world. Or you could read these powerful stories of gospel venture like Through Gates of Splendor, or The Shadow of the Almighty, or Steve Saint's The End of the Spear, or Corey Ten Boom's Tramp for the Lord, or Tom Doyle's Dreams and Vision, or David Platt's Something Needs to Change, or the stories of Wilfred Grenfell. Or talk to Carrie Clark, one of our own young women who's had a young women's ministry for a number of years right here with young women in our town. With some of the men and women that have given of themselves to serve, like Tim and Noreen Litchard, to ask them about their gospel ventures in Kentucky. 
or join the team helping out. When my, when my boys were little, one day I, had, I went and I got this magazine, an outdoor magazine. It was like outdoor hiking and kayaking and all of it. And I had this magazine. I was sitting in the house reading this magazine about kayaking and, and hiking outdoors and camping out. And those magazines are just chock full of advertisements for expensive gear. And I remember as I read that, I was sitting in my, this upper room there, and I was reading this magazine, and I got frustrated. I thought, I can't afford any of this expensive gear. And if I got to wait till I buy this expensive gear to go on a hike with my boys, like they're going to be really too old to hike. And I kind of put the magazine down in disgust. And I thought to myself, I've got a half a tank of gas. I got peanut butter. And I think there's some, I think there's some carrots. And I think there's some celery and maybe a few apples. And I got a couple of dollars. And and about a half an hour from here, there's a state park, the Mohican State Park. So I went down to the end of the hallway. I said to the boys, hey, you guys want to go on a hike? We'll pack a lunch. We'll put in a backpack. They're like, yeah. We grabbed this old backpack. It didn't have any straps on it. We, we made straps out of twine. And we threw peanut butter sandwiches and carrots and celery and apples into that little backpack. And we got in our car and we drove up to the Mohican National Forest or State Forest, I think. And we took a hike and we saw things that day. Now the boys are, they have boys that age. And when we get together around the fire, you know what they do? They remind me of that time and they remind me of the things that they saw because we just got up and we did something. And listen, folks, here's what I'm saying. There's such joy in this. In serving the Lord together, in making the Bethel wheel turn together, there's such joy in that. There's such fulfillment in that. I want to suggest to you that we make some effort of some kind Start with somebody you know. Start where you are. Start with what you have. Start with what you're good at. Start small, but start now and participate in some gospel venture. I want to pray a benediction on you, and I also want to thank the Lord for the food that we're about to eat. So grateful that you've come today and that you've been patient with us as we have this change. I want to pray for you now. Lord, I pray that God would give each of you an open heart this week. See the deep, lasting, fulfilling joy that comes from following Jesus and helping others follow Jesus. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, I thank you, Lord, for the people that work this week to prepare food for us right now. And I pray that this would be a time where we can enjoy some fellowship. And keep us safe, I pray. I thank you, Lord, right now for the beauty of this day. And I thank you for the sound of the children's voices over there. And I pray, Lord, that they would follow you and that they would help others follow you and that, that Bethel will would turn so beautifully that people are following Jesus, trusting in Jesus, following in baptism, obeying the commands of Christ, loving one another, repenting of their sin, and that there would be great joy in that venture in our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. God bless you.